Welcome to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We are located at 3501 Cheviot Avenue, Cincinnati, Ohio. It is our mission to worship and follow Jesus as we love and serve in his name. Come see us sometime at 1030 on a Sunday morning or while we feed the community at the Bread of Life Cafe each Wednesday evening at 530 p.m. We hope that the following message inspires you in some way today. morning, everyone. Today we're going to primarily be talking about three words that we can find in uh, Timothy, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Uh, I'm excited to be in this study. Uh, a few weeks ago we began this study, and so our encouragement is to read the first chapter of Philippians several times this week. And read the book of Philippians, all four chapters, at least once this week. And so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 for several weeks. So I think just ingraining that in our minds uh, will help us. To begin, we're going to do a quick review of how the Philippian church came to be. And this will probably be our last formal review, but I think it's so important to know where we came from, to know where we are and what, what we can do there. So... Here we go. You can find the origin story of the Philippian church in Acts chapter 16. Uh, It was about 50 AD. uh, And Paul is on his second missionary journey. Uh, They've just avoided uh, ancient Asia. And they're coming into uh, ancient Macedonia, modern day, northern Greece. Uh, Paul received a vision to steer clear of that province. And they come into Philippi and they begin to preach the gospel there. It's Paul and Timothy, and Silas, and we find out that Luke joined them in Troas. There in Philippi on the Sabbath, they went down to the river expecting to find God followers, and they did. They found Lydia and her family, and they accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized that day. Also, another part of the origin story of the Philippian church is that uh, the release of a spirit from a slave girl And that landed Paul and Silas in prison, and they got just uh, beatings of epic proportion, uh, not making light of it all. They were harmed. But during that night in prison, while worshiping, an earthquake opened up the prison. The Roman jailer comes out ready to fall on his sword after losing all of his charges, thinking, thinking that he had... But Paul and Silas stop him, they share the gospel with him, and then he and his family accept Christ as well, and we have the birth of the very first uh, church of Christ's followers there in Eastern Europe. The city itself, Philippi, is an extremely proud, extremely nationalistic, extremely Roman colony where very few Jews live. And we can see that truth played out that there's no synagogue in Philippi. And also, in writing to the Philippian church, Paul uses very few Old Testament references just because his audience wouldn't have captured him anyway. So just he uses that wisdom. Paul, along with Timothy, write the Philippian letter during Paul, one of Paul's incarcerations. How he was in prison for sharing the gospel of Jesus. And Philippians is one of four letters that Paul wrote from prison, the others being Ephesians, Colossians, and 
Philemon. Philippians was written probably from Rome uh, while in prison around 60 AD, which is about 10 years after the church began there in Philippi. And about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see from the very opening part of the letter that the Philippian church is growing and maturing in Christ. We see that because they're uh, enduring suffering. They're continuing to give generously. They're continuing to meet together. And they're appointing deacons and elders to lead them and serve them. The book of Philippians is primarily a thank you letter. And it's written that way. You can hear it from the very, very beginning. Thank you letter for again sending support. We know I think three or four times specifically that, that, that my goodness, that this church in Philippi gave to Paul and his work in the advancement of the gospel. That was something that the church in Philippi was known for, was generosity. They were specifically meeting some of Paul's needs by sending one of their members, Epaphroditus, with a box of goodies, financial support and otherwise. And Paul uh, writes this letter in response to that gift that he received. And I always want us to remember, whenever you're reading something, especially something ancient, we've got to ask and try to do our best to understand the W questions. It's so very important. There's not always a one-for-one correlation between what was said then and what could be understood now. And to be a faithful Bible student, we really have to understand the questions. Who wrote it? Why was it written? When was it written? Uh, Who would have received it? What would they have understood when they received it? And I think in asking those W questions, uh, we can really be faithful Bible students and really understand the heart and the premise behind the letter. And we're going to be trying to do that throughout our time in Philippians. This week, uh, we're going to focus on Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 8, and I'm going to read that uh, today. I, Jason was supposed to read it. Did I? I think I stepped on him, didn't I? Jason? Oh, okay. Sorry, Jason and family. We publish an order of worship for a reason, and I didn't read it. Sorry. All right, let's read it today. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending, confirming the Gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I want to try to bring out three specific things out of those set of verses. Partnering in the gospel is the first one. We read that uh, the opening lines of Paul's letter 
and you ask yourself, who doesn't want to receive a letter like that? I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with them. Man, can you imagine Paul writing that? I'll bet his handwriting was horrible because he was writing so fast. I'll bet Timothy, man, but slow down, Paul, slow down, slow down. They're not even going to be able to read it. And I'll bet the, uh, the Philippians were smiling from ear to ear while they were receiving it. Do you have a special place for letters? Have you received special letters? This was one. This is one that we're lucky to have preserved for us. This was a letter that was written with expressive love. This was a letter that was written with obvious connection. This deep commitment, and we can hear that in, even in the opening words. So why was this church so special to Paul? And why was this letter written with such thanks and such joy? Well, we get to it at the very beginning. Every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel. First and foremost, that's the deepest aspect of Paul's love for this church. Because they partnered and are partnering with him uh, in the Gospel from the first day until now, he says. Because of your partnership in the Gospel from the very first day. Lydia, do you remember? Roman jailer, we don't know his name. Do you remember? Do you remember the earthquake? From the first day until now, I'm celebrating our partnership in the gospel. Do you remember when I crested the hill and I saw you down by the river? We made eye contact, and that's where it began for us, Lydia. He's recounting all of these things. Do you write letters to your friends remembering? Reminding them of special things that you've connected on? why they're so important to you, what you love about them so much. If you don't, please do, because it means a lot to your friends. It's a great way to show your friends love, and it's something that they can have with them to remember. Paul praises them for sticking with it, for being tough in the face of suffering, for staying faithful to Jesus, this really, in a sense, is a 10-year anniversary letter. That's a big milestone. This summer, we celebrated the 75th year anniversary of the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached and taught and lived and embraced through the Central Church of Christ. That was a special moment for us. We don't just say that and then stop there. Hey, good job, we made it. No, it's a, you remember, you celebrate, and it's a, it's a motivation to keep going. And I can see that's a part of what's going on here. Celebrating this partnership that they have. When you think of partnership, what do you think of? It's not a solo adventure. I watched a show recently that made me mad. It was called Free Solo. You guys ever see this about climbing the Dawn Wall or something at Yosemite? And it made me mad because this guy was so flippant about his friends. I thought, that's how I perceived it. He just climbed this wall with nothing. No rope, no harness, no net, no plan B. He just summited this thing that most people in the world can't do anyway, and he did it completely free of anything. You might say, man, I respect that. 
I'm irritated by that. Because I know He has people that love Him. This is what we see here, a partnership. This guy, in my opinion, the free solo guy, didn't really grab onto his partnerships. He said, I'm going to do this by myself. If something happens to me, oh well. That's not what partnership is. When you think of partnership, you think of at least two people making a decision together. For good or bad, reap the reward, suffer the harm, we're in it. Think of marriage. It's a a common partnership we think of. There's a lot of partnerships in business uh, that you might think of. But Paul describes what he and the Philippian church are doing are partners in the gospel. An equal commitment and a willingness to work together for a common goal. Mutual sacrifice, mutual reward. Have you ever been a part of a one-way relationship? Painful. Shoot, painful. Not good. That's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be two people loving each other. Saying, I'm sorry. Saying, I forgive you. Saying, uh, would you like to? And yeah, I want to. And all this is working together. It's not supposed to be a a free solo. We're called to be partners in Christ. And admittedly, let's be honest with this, it's harder to be partners than it is to be by yourself. There's benefits to both. I want to admit that. There's certainly benefits to kind of going at it your own way by yourself. You don't got to ask anything. You just do it whatever you want, your way. But man, there's rich benefits in doing it together too. And when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul encourages us to do this thing together. It's a team sport. Christianity is. It's also important to, to, and I try to write this up there on the screen, Paul not only talks about who you're partnered with, but what you're partnered in. That's really, really important. Especially in our day and age. And and I'm not one of those that say, you know, they had it really easy back then and we had it really hard now. But we've got to be realistic about this. We have more access to more things than we ever had in the history of ever. There are more distractions now than there ever has been. And there's more people and we have more access of people trying to get our attention and to get our Support now than ever. There are more NGOs than there ever ever has been. There's more nonprofits than there ever has been. All doing very, very good work, I'm sure. But maybe now more than ever as a, a 21st century Christian, we've got to ask ourselves not only what I'm partnering with, but who I'm partnering with. Not only what I'm partnering with, but what I'm partnering in. Paul isolates how important it is to be partnered in the gospel. And I wonder what that means. What does gospel partnership mean? Have you thought about that? Luckily, there's a lot of verses and stories in the Bible that help explain it. And that's always good when that happens. That's not always true. There's not always a lot of evidentiary things in the Bible that support a Christian belief or a, a moral teaching. Sometimes there's just one or two, and, 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 we, and we do it, and we go with it, and we trust in faith that this is what God wants. But in this situation, gospel partnership, there's a load. I mean a load, and I'll just name uh, a couple of them. I think I, yeah. Psalm chapter 1 is a, a, verse, a set of verses that I memorized that uh, to me are just extremely impactful and they tell a story in and of themselves. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand 
in the way of the sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. And on that law, they meditate day and night. This, whoever wrote this, probably David, or uh, probably uh, David is saying, it's so important who you partner with and what you partner in. What you tie yourself to, who you tie yourself to, who do you ask advice of, who's, who has your ear that you listen to them. Listen, y'all, it's critical business that when you're asking for advice and you're seeking counsel, it's got to be from someone who loves the Lord. It's got to be. We've got to lean on each other and tell each other the truth. And, and the other part of that, uh, the, the Psalms verse that I love so much is that not every, you don't always get to see the end of it in, in every story, but this one it does, it says, uh, it describes the person who doesn't do these things but delights in, the Lord, uh, delights in the law of the Lord. But they delight in the law of the Lord and on their lo- that law they meditate day and night. They're like a tree planted by streams of water who yield their fruit in season, whose leaves never wither, and whatever they do, they prosper. And I'm not, not prosper, but prosper in the Lord. Prosper in the Lord. There's a lot more to success than being wealthy. That's money's whatever. Successfulness in the Lord. That's what we're looking for, and that's what Psalms uh, is talking about. Proverbs 13.20. I know Cherie, uh, not here today, uh, loves that verse. She quotes it all of the time. Uh, blesses the person uh, who doesn't... Uh, no, that's not how it starts. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Philippians 13.20. Proverbs 27, 17, Gene talks about this one a lot. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Kim mentioned this just, I think, a couple weeks ago in class. 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, uh, Paul is, is quoting a famous Greek comedy of the time, but he's making a part. Don't tie yourself to people who don't believe fully in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because bad company corrupts good character. He quotes a famous Greek comedy that the people of that time would have known, but it's in reference to tying yourself to people that don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who you partner with and what you partner in is absolutely critical. The second part we can see, uh, it's, it's at the end, talking about sharing in God's grace. He says, whether I'm in chains or I'm out defending the gospel, all of you share in God's grace. With me, and that phrase really captured my attention this week. I want to share in God's grace. I want to share in that. I want to be partnered in the gospel, and I want to share in God's grace. Paul's in prison. The Philippian church is is undergoing suffering and persecution because they are placing Jesus Christ as king and not the Caesar or the emperor of Rome. And he says, yet all of you share in God's grace with me. I got to think about what is God's grace? What, what is that? We know that the, the Vacation Bible School, what's, what's the, defi- the definition of grace from VBS? Unmerited favor, you know, something like that. God's redemption at Christ's expense, if you do the acronym approach. That we all have received something from God that we are in no way deserving of, but richly blessed by 
God's grace. And, and Paul makes it clear that uh, it's not just something, you don't just share God's grace, you share in God's grace. So in this situation, Paul wasn't sharing God's grace with them, like the teaching of the gospel or giving an example of how to live faithfully to the Lord, sharing in the grace. He's talking about sharing in it, participating in it, having it be a part of your story. All of you share in God's grace with me. Paul is joyful and thankful in prayer that together he and the Philippian church are sharing in God's grace. Again, there's a lot of verses that help us understand what grace is and how we can share in it. Uh, my favorite verse in the New Testament, at least, uh, that really identifies grace in a way that I can understand is, is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith, not from yourself, but it's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are all God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he thought of in advance for us to do. That grace is a gift, and I receive that gift as I come to him in faith. And that grace does all the saving, and my faith does all the just bringing. It's a partnership. Who does God give grace to? Just the ones that come to him? Boy, while you were still sinners... Christ died for you. And that's something about sharing in God's grace is remembering that God loves us all exceptionally in, in extraordinary ways. And how we see ourselves and how we see others is an expression of how we see how God loves us. God loves me exceptionally. Way before I could say His name, Way before I could confess him or preach this sermon, way, way before anything I could do anything, quote, good for him, he loved me because, because he loved me. And that's true for you. And that's true for everyone. So how you see yourselves and how you see and treat other people, how you see and treat yourself is an expression of, of how you share in God's grace. And we all need to listen to this differently because sometimes all of us are very, very hard on ourselves. We don't give ourselves a break. We're the worst person in the world. We can't do anything uh, right. Uh, I always have wrong thoughts. I'm always sinning. I'm never doing good. Might be some self-talk that you hear. Or maybe you're bent a little bit more towards arrogance and everyone else is broken and you're looking pretty good. Whatever it is, we all need to hear this, that God loves you and you didn't deserve it, but He does. And that's how we need to see ourselves and that's how we need to show others. That's a way that we can share in God's grace. Matthew 7, treat others the way that you want to be treated. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, Be joyful always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Have you ever asked yourself, what's God's will for me? I'm a pretty literal person at times. This is one that just answers it. He, well, David, he wants to be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. There you go. Ephesians 4, uh, 32. Um, I didn't write enough for me to remember what that is, so I'm going to turn there. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Those are all specific ways that we can share in God's grace. One way to think of sharing in God's grace is being and becoming like God with God's people for God's glory. And that speaks of not only sharing in God's grace, but also our partnership uh, in the gospel. And finally, I'm not going to spend very much time on this because we're going to have a sermon in a couple weeks uh, that really spends all of the time on this. The last part of this uh, set of verses that really captured my attention in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1-8, through eight, it's at the very end, and we sang, sang about that. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to the end. Trusting that God's good work in you is alive and well. Trusting that God's good work is alive and well in other people. There's a lot to be said here. Loving people where they are with the hopes that they too can get to where God wants them to be. But it's not on you. It's your job to be loving. It's not your job to move them along the path. It's your job to humble yourself before the Lord and move along the path with them communally together. Do you trust God's good work? Do you trust God's good work in this world? Do you trust God's good work in your life? Are you trusting God's good work in this church? That you're willing to partner with this church, sharing in the gospel, seeing it through? I love this idea of completing because it's progress-based and it's ongoing. I hope that you can look back over uh, last year, we're still in the, the kind of the fresh months of our, our current year. Did you make some steps with the Lord? That was a question that Steve asked us every week during the first and second Timothy class. How is God working to mature your heart this week? That's a good question. Also, I think there's a lot to be said of just walking with people through life, trusting that God will do His work in their life. Have you ever walked with someone through pain? Walked with someone through disease? Walked with someone through sin? Have you ever had someone walk with you through one of those things? One of the greatest gifts that we can give each other is to be present in each other's lives while God's completing work is being done in us. And I think also one of the greatest things that we can do is celebrate milestones with each other. I love that about AA and NA and GA, all of the, the groups that get together and work on a specific character flaw is that they, they admit and then they celebrate. I love that. That's a great pattern, I think. That we confess our sins and we celebrate forgiveness that we remember where we were and we celebrate where we are. This is sticky and messy and difficult work.
walking with people or them walking with you. Because it often doesn't go right and it's often not pretty. And we've got to have grace on grace on grace for each other. Some very specific ways that we can help each other see it through this completing God's good work is, is writing notes or sending texts or saying it face to face. I love you. Encouraging people with how you see goodness and godness in them. Challenging the closest of your friends who you have that relationship with. Challenging them in love to do better. That's tough business right there. Uphill sledding. That's hard, hard stuff because nobody likes to talk about that stuff. But if we're going to sharpen iron, we've got to do it. We've got to talk about our weaknesses and our character flaws. We've got to confess them and admit them. You've got to allow people into your life that you allow to have a voice in your life for, for God's glory. Another way is just through your presence, through your generosity, words and acts of affection, being there in tough times. Seeing it through. I think the path of God is uh, a long one. And I'm grateful for it. And we might all be on different parts of that path. But I think the main part is, is to get on and stay on. And keep walking that path. So many of the teachings of Jesus had to do with along the way. And I like that idea of along the way teaching. Through life teaching. Something that I've been convicted of recently, and I'll close with this, is that I don't want to be remembered for the worst of my qualities. I don't want to be remembered for the worst of my qualities. I also don't want to spend too much time with the worst of my qualities. I want to get through that stuff. I want to be better. I want to be good for God's glory. There's a verse uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, um, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. No, they put it on a stand so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the very same way, let your light shine before people so they can see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. May each of us, as we strive